All right, we need uh, God to speak to us, and God speaks through his word. So if you'll uh, take your Bible, if you haven't already, and just open to 1 Peter 5, or at least stay open to 1 Peter 5. Uh, we've been uh, talking about leadership in the local church uh, the past few weeks, and uh, one day we're going to get back to the Gospel of Luke, actually uh, pretty soon, just a few weeks from now. But we've been uh, talking about leadership lately, and uh, specifically we've been talking about the role of pastor or elder. Uh, so there are two offices right now in the church, uh, pastor, elder, and deacon. Uh, God's plan is uh, pretty simple, and uh, we've been talking about pastors and elders. I wonder uh, what comes into your mind when you hear the word pastor or when you hear the word uh, elder. What do you think about uh, when you think about a pastor? For some people, they don't think about something good. Uh, they don't have uh, positive associations with the idea of a pastor. I was in a coffee shop just this week, and uh, the barista said, you're really giving me pastor vibes here. And I'm not sure uh, what pastor vibes are exactly, but I asked, I said, I hope that's a good thing, because uh, I think it is. But uh, you hear uh, some stories, and you can understand why uh, people don't always have uh, positive associations when they hear the word pastor. There have been a lot of bad pastors and bad elders over the years. Other people, though, it's almost the opposite. You meet uh, some people, and the way they think about pastors, it's almost superhuman, either in terms of their expectations or uh, what they actually think about when they think about their pastor. I remember uh, one person, he was a missionary overseas, actually, and uh, whenever he got to come back to the United States and go to his a church that sent him out, he told me he would always try to go to the pastor's office when the pastor wasn't there, and then he would just sit in the pastor's chair. And uh, I thought that was a little weird, honestly. <laughs> but he really uh, liked his pastor. Uh, some people, they have uh, bad impressions of pastors and elders. Other people, uh, they have too high of expectations or unbiblical expectations. And then I guess some people are just confused about what it means to be a pastor or an elder. I, uh, I remember when I first became a pastor, it was a long time ago now, uh, around the year 2000 I was ordained, and that means set apart to be a pastor, and I had spent years training for that, and I grew up even in a pastor's home, and I had been mentored for this, and yet when I went to be a pastor the first time, I had some idea what I was supposed to do, but, you know, there's a lot to do, and there are a lot of opinions about what makes for a good pastor, a lot of opinions. And um, many of those opinions are different. And so there were definitely times uh, where I had to step back and say, okay, what am I doing here? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? What does, it, what does it mean to be a pastor? Which is an important question, not just for pastors, uh, but also for you. I, I go to a doctor and he thinks that his main job is to fix my car. That's a problem. It's also a problem if I think his main job is to fix my car. He like takes out his stethoscope and starts checking my heart. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You're supposed to be changing my oil. No, that's not what he's there for. You need to know what pastors and elders are there for. And make sure what you think they're there for is what God thinks they're there for. Because you're influenced and I am influenced by the way the world thinks. And so if we're not working at thinking biblically, we're probably just thinking the way the world around us does. It's funny or, or sad, but you, you start traveling to different countries, and you notice that the way they think about pastors is different in different places. And it often corresponds to the way they think about leadership in those particular societies. And so Africa, bad pastors would often be like uh, witch doctors. You know, they would, they would dress different, obviously, and they would go to, to, go to church and say religious things, but people's expectations of them were sometimes a little like their expectations of, of witch doctors. And in America, it's probably businessmen or, or self-help speakers, I guess, but we need more than just the world's version of leadership when we come to church. And if we're gonna get that, we need to make sure we really hear what the scripture says. And uh, you remember maybe that we started with, with Titus, what kind of leaders do we need? And the first thing we saw was that we need elders. We need pastors. And one way we know that is because Paul's first instruction 
to Titus when it came to putting things in order there in Crete was to appoint elders. And so that means while we might have had bad experiences with leadership and we may have some questions like, is this really a, a good idea? This isn't an idea that man came up with ultimately, elders and pastors, because there are ideas that man came up with when it comes to how to do church. Obviously, if we, if we think about how the church runs, like the time we have it, or this little stage that I'm standing up on here, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we put in place for our church to run, and those ideas are really all up for discussion because they're just ways we're trying to live out what the scripture teaches. They're kind of ideas that we came up with, but not every idea is like that. There are ideas that God clearly spells out in scripture, and they're not up for discussion in terms of do we need elders or pastors? Well, God says we do, so we do. I remember uh, one time uh, someone who felt like they had been hurt by pastors and elders, and they were like, I don't know if this whole idea of leadership in the church is a good idea. And you know, you can sympathize with someone who says that, um, but it's not an option because we did not actually come up with this idea ourselves. So in the end, it's really about faith do I trust God's plan for leadership or not? Because he says we need elders. That was one. And then two, again, you remember, we don't just need elders. What kind of elders do we need? That's an important question because we, we, we definitely need a certain kind of elder. And I don't mind saying this like every week, actually, because this is so hard for us to get right. Like say I have two guys standing here. And one guy, he's really good looking, and he's uh, funny, he's got several degrees, you know, he's uh, charming, he's easy to talk to, he's easy to listen to, he gets things done. And this other guy has none of that. You know, he, he loves his wife, he disciples his children, you can understand what he's saying, he's unselfish, but he's kind of boring. Who are we impressed with? There's a, there's a young man I worked with for a while, and, and a really godly young man. He had all the qualifications in Timothy and Titus. He had, like, proven himself. He was able to communicate. He wanted to go plant a church in a uh, poorer area um, where they didn't have any good churches. When he preached, he said what the Bible said. Uh, he would get a little bit practical. But, you know, he was a little bit boring, honestly. He wasn't a very dynamic personality, but he loved people. He, he took initiative, but he seemed to me like he wasn't exactly a go-getter. It would take him a long time, at least according to me, to get things done. And you know what? There was a while where it was hard for me to get fully behind him serving as a pastor like that there in that way. And even now, uh, it's a little confusing for me because I think back, were those actual reasons? Was I, was I concerned? Um, and it was just try me trying to help him use his gifts best? Is that what was going on? Or were those reasons more about me exalting a cultural idea of what makes a leader above the Bibles? I've been in that situation at least two times now. And one time, from the world's perspective, it didn't go well. Uh, the church disbanded. And the other time, the church is thriving. And so does that mean one time I made the right decision, the other time I didn't? I don't know. Who decides that? But I do know that when it comes to leadership, I want to go down emphasizing what's important to God more than what's important to our particular culture, because our culture is wrong a lot. <laughs> and you remember when we looked at Titus, what's important to God is that we have elders with character and conviction. To do what? That's the third question. What kind of leaders do we need? We need elders. What kind of elders? Men with character and conviction to do what? What do elders do? And I was, I was thinking about answering that question from Titus, actually, but Titus was in sort of a unique situation in that he was uh, more of an apostolic representative, really. And so a lot of what he did was similar to pastors because he was serving churches that didn't have pastors, so he had to function like a pastor temporarily. But even though that's true, I thought it might be easier uh, if we just looked at 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, as we get into some of the specifics of being an elder. Because if you look at verse 1, 1 Peter 5 verse 1, who's Peter talking to? He's talking straight to elders. He says, so I exhort 
the elders among you. And he's not just talking about older people there, obviously. He's talking about a position or office, or you could even say a job in the church instead. And you remember, again, I hope this isn't confusing, because I know I keep kind of switching back between the word pastor and elder. But that's because pastors and elders are the same thing. Kids, are you hearing me? Because last night we had devotions, and I asked them that question. I promised I would answer it. Pastors and elders are the same thing. It's the same job, which is pretty obvious in the Bible, but not in a lot of churches. There are still uh, people who act as if there's like one real pastor of the church. And though there might be other elders, it's like those elders are somehow below him, and their job is fundamentally different. Sometimes uh, when I would go to visit people in uh, Africa, they'd be like, I'm so thankful that you're here uh, to pray for me, Pastor. And I had known other pastors, had other elders had been there to pray, and, and I would have to tell them, you know, we're all pastors here. And also, you can pray for yourself. I'd love you to pray for me as well. You're a priest, <laughs> a royal kingdom. Of, we're a kingdom of priests. But pastors are elders, and even though... Uh, some people think of them as fundamentally different. That's not how the Bible talks at all. I don't really know where that idea came from, uh, maybe from uh, Roman Catholicism. I'm not sure, but it's not from the Bible because in the Bible, an elder is a pastor and a pastor is an elder. And as we look at the way leadership is supposed to work throughout the New Testament, we see the writers assume uh, local churches are normally going to be led by a team of elders rather than just one. There might be times, like with Titus and Timothy, where a church is in a particular situation and one man needs to come in and do a certain kind of work for a period of time, but normally it's elders, which you can see here. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. And the word elder is plural. The Bible teaches a plurality of leadership, so it's not just like one man way above the others. In fact, even here, you can see how Peter himself exhorts them as a fellow elder in verse 1. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, which is maybe a little bit surprising at first because Peter had another title, which we don't have anymore in the same way. He was an apostle with a capital A, which was a temporary office to help the church get started. And as an apostle, he had unique authority, even over elders. But you see that Peter doesn't use that authority here when talking to the elders, but instead he comes alongside of them as one of them. And to me, that's really telling. If a, a real apostle who had real authority takes this approach, this idea of one man who basically owns the church or is like king of the church is not a biblical one. And if you're ever in a church like that, honestly, just run because even at the point in history when there were men who had this special authority, they didn't abuse it, but instead humbly came alongside the men God had set apart to serve as elders. And so even here at CBC, I might have a special responsibility to teach and preach on a weekly basis or Isaiah, and that is a real privilege to be given that time to study, and I'm so grateful, but that doesn't mean that I'm somehow more of a pastor than the other elders, or, or that I somehow have a greater responsibility to listen to what Peter says here either, because Peter's not just talking to one man. He's talking to elders. And what does he tell the elders to do? That was our question, you remember. What do elders do? And the answer to that question is pretty simple. If you look down at the text, Peter says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. And so when Peter thinks about a pastor's responsibility, an elder's responsibility, the first image that comes into his mind is that of a shepherd. He thinks shepherd. That's the basic image to understand what an elder does. And it might be the most comprehensive image in the Bible for the work of an elder. If you think about an elder, I want you to think about a shepherd. And you wonder, what does it mean for him to shepherd? We can talk about that in the, the very next phrase, exercising oversight. That's a more straightforward explanation of what the image means exactly. But shepherd, that's the picture. And, and that's the Greek word that's closest to our English word, pastor. If you hear a sermon titled, The Pastor as a Shepherd, you could say, you know what, that's a funny sermon title uh, because it's the pastor as a pastor, basically. <laughs> 
If you wonder what does a pastor do, the word tells you what a pastor does. And here are elders, elders, pastor. I kind of think we've done a funny thing and not really a great thing in making pastor such a title that we've forgotten what it means. It's almost like we've separated the title from the function. And so you'll talk to an elder and you'll say, uh, are you a pastor? And he'll be like, no, 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 I'm not a pastor. But really you're just asking, are you a shepherd? And you better be because Peter exhorts you If you're an elder, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. And you could translate this, pastor the flock of God. In Peter's mind, the church is like a group of sheep, which is is maybe a little bit humbling. Uh, I think there's a bumper sticker somewhere that says lions, not sheep. And I don't know what that means, actually. But I assume assume it represents how most people feel about being called sheep. Uh, Sheep are, are kind of dumb. That's how... Someone's described them, uh, dumb, directionless, and defenseless. And yet that's the image Peter uses to describe the local church. We are a flock of sheep. And yet while we may be sheep, we are uh, God's sheep. We are a flock that belongs to God, which has all kinds of different implications for our lives that we could start working through. But one thing being a group of sheep means for sure is that we need a shepherd. Sheep don't survive well on their own. And ultimately, of course, we know that shepherd is who? That's right. Jesus. I love it. He is the good shepherd. And in uh, verse 4, in 1 Peter 5, Peter describes him as the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. But the chief shepherd has decided to care for his sheep by setting apart men who will serve his church as under shepherds. And I'm talking about elders and pastors. What do they do? They shepherd which is not a glorious job, being a shepherd. It's a privilege because you're serving Jesus, but it's not like a king or something, a shepherd. And you know, we're not even the main shepherd here, elders. Elders are just under shepherds, and even not just under shepherds, because we're sheep too. We're kind of in a unique situation because the elder is a sheep that shepherds, which is probably where the metaphor breaks down, I guess, but it's important. As we talk about elders, to understand it's not like an elder is in this category of human that's completely different than ourselves. He's a sheep. The elder is a sheep. And yet even though he's a sheep like everyone else, he is called to serve Jesus as a kind of shepherd, which is overwhelming. And we need help, even knowing how to do this. And so Peter explains how elders shepherd. Elders shepherd by exercising oversight. That's how he explains the work in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. That's among you, exercising oversight. And he uses the Greek word there uh, from which we get our noun, bishop, our English word, bishop. So it's kind of interesting if you take a step back from this passage. You have the word for elder here, I exhort elders, and you have the word for pastor, I exhort elders to shepherd, and then you have the word for bishop as well. An elder pastors, and he pastors by bishoping. And bishoping literally means exercising oversight. And if you want to unpack how elders do that, it involves four things. First of all, to exercise oversight, an elder needs to know the sheep. How do you exercise oversight? You need to know the sheep, which seems kind of obvious, right, if you think about a a literal shepherd. Uh, Maybe you've seen one uh, in person. Maybe you've uh, watched a movie. Uh, What do you see? Whatever you imagine when you imagine a shepherd, there's probably one thing all your pictures have in common, and that is that the shepherd is among the sheep. He's not like off somewhere else. He is in the middle of the animals. He's touching the animals and speaking to the animals. He knows them because he lives with them, and as a result, he even smells like sheep. That's the way someone has put it, and that is Definitely the way it was with Jesus. If he's the good shepherd, we learn about shepherding from him. And as we look at the way he lived his life, we see Jesus almost always right there in the middle of the people, except when he's off by himself praying. He didn't just lay his life down for the sheep. Jesus spent his life with the sheep. Paul, as well, if you think about the Apostle Paul's example, listen to what he told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. Often when Paul was with the church, he was able to say to them, you know, you know how I was. 
And that's because Paul worked at getting to know the people he pastored and letting the people get to know him, which is like step number one to being a good shepherd, knowing the sheep. And yet it's a little challenging uh, in a bigger setting, isn't it? Which is another reason we need multiple elders, actually, because this is hard in, in the world as it is right now, even just the way it's set up. It's set up to make it difficult for us to get to know each other. And uh, it's not just the way the world is either. That's a problem for sure. But it's, it's also the fact that we are humans. And being a human means being limited. And being limited means an elder only has a certain amount of time. And he only has a certain amount of capability. And so one elder is not able to know many people very well, at least not very quickly, which has been a challenge for me sometimes as a pastor because I, I'm kind of an idealist. And so I know this is important, and so I, I have dreams uh, about what I wish I was able to do. And uh, often, I'm not. And so I have to remember I'm not Jesus, and I'm not capable of doing what Jesus is capable of doing. And so as we talk about elders knowing the sheep, we have to be careful not to expect more than they're actually capable of. But at the same time, this is part of the, the job. If you look at verse 2, it's kind of assumed here. Shepherd, shepherd <laughs> the flock of God that is among you. And so again, the picture is of the shepherd in the middle of the sheep, surrounded by sheep. And it's a certain group of sheep. He's in this certain flock of sheep. Peter, Peter didn't expect these elders would elder everyone. There was a certain group of sheep they were responsible for, specifically to make sure they are spiritually fed. And that's the second way pastors exercise oversight, and probably the primary way. Uh, what do pastors and elders do? They feed the sheep. If you think about what Jesus uh, told Peter after his betrayal. It's really uh, kind of touching to think about Peter writing this later because uh, Jesus had a talk with Peter after Peter betrayed him. And Jesus comes to him. The good shepherd comes to him after Peter failed him so significantly and uh, basically recommissions him to the ministry. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, you know, you know. Then feed my sheep, Jesus says. Feed, teach basically. Elders feed the flock by teaching the word. And this is such an important part of what it means to be an elder, that even if you just look at the qualifications for the office, you find many of the qualifications are just the same as should be true of like literally every man in this church, to the point where you read the qualifications and you might ask, I wonder what's the difference between just being a godly man and being an elder? Because there is a difference. It's not like every godly man in the church is supposed to be an elder. An elder has a certain job. And we get an idea what the job is with the one qualification Paul gives that has to do with gifts. And that qualification is what? An elder needs to be able to teach, which we saw last week is pretty much what Paul tells Titus as well when he says, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And that doesn't mean that every elder has to be able to preach, but it does mean that every elder has to be able to disciple. When I think about an elder, I think teacher. If you don't want to teach at some level, you shouldn't be an elder because there are lots of things to do for Christ, and they're great, and they're important. The church needs all kinds of help, but an elder is specific. He's someone set apart to feed the sheep. And we don't have to make what that means super complicated or super scary at all or too intense. It just means the elder, you might say, has been set apart to serve the church as one of its lead disciple makers. If you go back to Titus as an illustration, Paul's told Titus, Titus chapter 1, that they need elders who are going to teach sound doctrine. But then he turns to Titus in chapter 2 and says, it's not just sound doctrine that the church needs. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. And that's a command, teach, but it's really just the word to speak. Speak, and it's in the present tense, something Titus is to be continually doing. He's to continually be talking about the things that are fitting for a sound doctrine. I'm kind of just emphasizing that word, fitting because this is such a big part of the elders' work. Paul's saying there is truth, and people need to know the truth, and then there are things that are fitting for the truth. There's like a, a way of living that matches up with the gospel we believe, and people need help knowing both. 
and not just people, us. We need help. We're, we, we become Christians, and there's a lot that we don't know, and that's normal. But it's also dangerous. It's not supposed to stay that way, which is part of why the, God gave the church elders to disciple by teaching the truth and then by getting involved in people's lives and, and teaching them how to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel, which is so often, if you think about it, where churches break down, isn't it? Like uh, people learn a lot of information over the years, but it's like they haven't always learned how do I live at work in a way that now matches up with what I said I believed at church. And that's part of why God gave elders. <laughs> elders are to help us know how to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel through, through feeding the sheep, through teaching. Third, what's an elder? An elder is a pastor. A pastor is a shepherd. A shepherd over exercises oversight. Exercising oversight means getting to know the sheep, feeding the sheep, and then actually leading the sheep. An elder leads the sheep, which is maybe where we start getting nervous uh, when we hear the word lead, especially as uh, Americans. We don't like that word. And sometimes we think that way because we've had bad leaders. And uh, that plays a part for sure, but it's not just that because there are places in the world where people have had bad leaders and they don't have the same struggle with the idea of leadership that we do. A part of the reason why we struggle with leadership is because part of being an American is being able to make decisions for yourself. And what is challenging to unpack sometimes is that part of that desire to make decisions for ourselves comes from somewhere good. We recognize that we're made in the image of God and we have a personal accountability to God. But part of that also comes from somewhere bad. We think we are God. And that goes so far down to the core of our being that it makes sense for us that we get to decide even if we're a man or a woman. And in a culture that is that independent, it's not surprising we struggle with the concept of being led. I guess the positive part is that we uh, don't put up with evil dictators too well, uh, but even that's changing, unfortunately. But the negative is definitely that we can buck up against any idea of, of leadership. And that's negative because though in the, the Bible there's no space for authoritarian selfish leaders, but the Bible clearly expects elders to lead. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.17 puts it like this. It's, Paul says, let, let the elders who rule well be considered of worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And you hear the word rule. What does the word rule mean? It means to exercise leadership, basically. I think uh, one translation has it, elders who direct the affairs of the church. In other words, they manage. Not like a king. That, that's not what it means to rule. If anything, more like a father, sort of. We have to nuance that a bit, but an elder leads sort of like a good father. Not a, not a dictator father, for sure, but a father who knows how to father, which is why one of the qualifications for being an elder back in 1 Timothy 3 is that he has to be able to manage his own household well. Because Paul says, you know what? If someone doesn't know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? And so an elder caring for God's church is a little like a father managing a family, which means elders have a unique responsibility for how things go, which is why in Hebrews 13, 17, they're actually just called leaders. Listen to this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And so the command to obey doesn't mean that elders have absolute authority in your life or the church. So it's not like we're all literal children here and elders are our literal fathers. In fact, Jesus warned, he warned about treating anyone like that because, to switch metaphors for a moment, the elders is a sheep, not a, just, just a shepherd. And so I don't think obey your leaders means you should obey your elders like a child obeys his father. But while it doesn't mean that, it, it definitely means something. Elders are set apart to exercise a certain amount of limited authority in, in, in the church. And again, you hear me say certain amount because it's limited. And I'm stressing that because Peter's about to stress it in a minute. But if exercising oversight means anything, it means elders have been delegated some authority to make decisions about how the church runs, and they have authority. 
as they speak God's word, they declare, and they can even command the scripture. And you know what? They have authority to make sure God's word is being taught in the church. In fact, that's a big part of their role, protecting the sheep, which is a fourth way they exercise oversight. Elders protect the sheep, which is pretty much what we said last week. But obviously, it's important because we want to make it to heaven. That's like one of our goals as a church, vision statement. We want to make it to heaven. And there are a lot of lies and errors out there that could lead us away from Christ. And maybe now more than ever, we're exposed to a thousand wrong ideas, sometimes before we go to the bathroom in the morning, and we're being manipulated at at a breakneck pace, which is part of why God wants you to be part of a local church where there are these elders who have this responsibility given from God to watch out for you that you don't get eaten by wolves. That's part of what it means to be a shepherd or an elder. We need elders, but we need a certain kind of elder, and this is what we need them to do, shepherd. Not not do all the work of the ministry, not just sit around a table and make executive decisions, not be bosses, shepherd, shepherd the sheep. And that means getting to know the sheep, taking responsibility for feeding the sheep and leading the sheep and even protecting the sheep as best as he can. That's what we need elders to do. That's basically the job description. Now, how does Peter want them to go about doing it? That's a fourth question. How should pastors pastor? Because there's a totally wrong way to do this, for sure. Because you'll notice at the end of verse 2 that Peter gives a number of qualifications. That to start with, he's to pastor, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. That's number one. And you can see each of these is going to be a contrast. Not, but. The words he uses are opposites. Under compulsion means what? Not willingly which tells us what about being an elder? That is supposed to be something you want to do. Even when Paul talks about elders, in 1 Timothy 3.1, he writes, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And aspire means want, basically. If you want to be an elder, Paul's saying, no, this is a very big job. Let me tell you all the qualifications. (laughs) Not everyone is called to be an elder. And so if you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, There is no way I'd ever want to do that. That's fine. Because uh, while there's more to being called to the ministry than just wanting to be in the ministry, you definitely aren't called to be an elder if you have no desire to be one. This is not something you're supposed to do under compulsion from others. Charles Spurgeon, he's a pastor. He wrote a book called Lectures to My Students about 100 years ago. And in that book, he talks about the calling to the ministry, and he identifies the first sign that God's calling someone to the ministry as an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. And he speaks about it in some really strong ways, and sometimes you're like, whoa, Charles. But the, the thing is, this is a really great work. And if you don't want it, you should leave it for someone who does, right? And you need to hear this from me, because I love being a pastor, and I love seeing men uh, develop as leaders. And uh, when I say I love being a pastor, I don't mean I always love going to late-night meetings or saying hard things. There's lots of times where I don't feel like doing certain things. But even the stuff I don't feel like doing, it's such a privilege. I I, I get to be a pastor. I get to be an elder. And because I love it so much, sometimes it's hard for me to comprehend uh, not wanting that. When, When you love something, you expect that other people would love it too. But clearly, not everyone's called to be an elder and serve in this way. Otherwise, Peter and Paul wouldn't have to say this, which which means if you don't want to be an elder, Check why. Check why. Check that it's not because you have a wrong idea of what it means to be an elder. Sometimes people will say, I don't want to be an elder. I say, what do you think an elder is? And I'm like, I don't want to be that either. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and that's part of why we are having that Aspire class, actually, so you can know what it means to be an elder. There might be wrong reasons for not wanting to be an elder, but at the same time, it might be you don't have the desire because God's called you to serve in another way. And listen, um, did you hear that part, serve in another way? Because if you don't desire to be an elder, it's not because God has called you, uh, he's not called you to serve. So don't be like, I don't want to be an elder, so I can just sit back and go to the beach and uh, eat pizza. You've all been spiritually gifted. You're all called to serve, but not everyone as an elder. This is something you're supposed to want if you're going to do it. And one good way to know if you want it is if you're already doing it without the title. There's a lot of eldering and deaconing you can do without the the title. And really, as we're looking for men who will serve as pastors at the church, we're looking for men 
who in a sense are already serving as pastors at the church without necessarily being formally recognized. In fact, if you have to start, if you have to ask somebody to start shepherding people, then they probably aren't ready to serve as an elder because a, a person who's ready to serve as an elder is, is always wanting to serve like an elder by discipling and teaching and caring for people because this is something he wants to do. It's not something that he's forced into. Then second, Peter says he's to pastor not for shameful gain, but eagerly, which means elders aren't to be motivated by money. But they are to be motivated. They are to be eager. Eager is like passionate in terms of like, man, I get to do this. This is a good work I get to do. Elders should be some of the happiest people in the church. I remember hearing a, a story about George Whitfield. He was a preacher God used in a, number, uh, not a couple hundred years ago in a tremendous way. But they said, no one who saw George Whitfield could ever doubt that he enjoyed his religion. <laughs> you saw him and you knew he was happy in Jesus. And he suffered uh, for being a pastor in a lot of ways, slandered, despised. And yet they said he was so happy, you saw him, and you were like, it is good to serve Jesus. And it is. Sometimes people talk about being an elder, being a pastor, as if it were only so hard. But I don't think the problem so much with the position. I think the problem's more with the person. There are some people that can be grumpy at Disneyland, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> They uh, can be eating a steak at a five-star restaurant, and they're like, I don't like this napkin. This is a terrible napkin. Uh, some people, it's like they have a little factory at the back of their house. It's a trouble factory. And if they don't have enough trouble, they'll make some. And those are the kinds of people you don't want as elders, honestly, because this is a work you should do eagerly, happily. Third, Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And this is a big one, not domineering. In fact, uh, if you step back, you put all these qualifications together. These are like the three uh, worst reasons for being a pastor, <laughs> honestly. So, so there are some people who want to be a pastor, are, are a pastor. They don't want to be a pastor, but they feel like it's what they're supposed to do. Someone needs to do it. I guess it will be me. It's like taking out the trash or something. And, and you need to help me here, actually. Our church, our particular church needs to help me a little bit. Um, because I think we might have a little bit of a cultural issue going on. Um, and so I'm going to let you know how I hear things, and you can kind of help me. Because I've heard in some cultures, I don't know if this is true, so it's always dangerous, but I've heard in some cultures, people don't want to stand out and act like they want to be a leader, even if they want to be a leader. And so they'll speak in really understated ways, which means if you ask them, do you want to be an elder, they will say something like, well, if you need me to, which sounds to me, you need to know, it sounds to me like you don't want to be an elder. <laughs> and that's maybe not what you mean. But that sounds to me like this is under compulsion. And you're going to have to help me if you really want to be an elder, because we don't want elders who only do it because it's their duty. That is like one wrong reason for being an elder, under compulsion. Another wrong reason is because it seems like a, a good job uh, for money. Uh, which is maybe more of a problem where I came from, but, you know, there are a lot of bad people out there, too, and it definitely needs to be said. And, and a third wrong reason people become elders is because they just like to boss people around, and that's the word domineering. They like being the person in charge, and so they're like, even if I don't make money, that's fine, because this is a, it's more about power for them, and so being an elder means they get some respect, and they can, as a result, sometimes get people to do what they want them to do or at least they can tell them to do what they want them to do. And um, that's one of my least favorite things to do, actually, so uh, I have to work at that, <laughs> telling people what to do, but sometimes uh, people love that. And uh, this is just crazy, honestly. In fact, you look at some pastors and what they do, and you look at what Peter says in verse three, and you wonder if they miss the word not. It's like they read this, shepherd the flock of God by domineering those in your chart. And it's amazing what people can get away with as, as leaders. In Africa, there was a guy who would preach the whole time while standing on the backs of some of his members of, of the church. And I'm saying like literally standing on their backs. Really good for the core, but terrible, <laughs> terrible, awful. There was another pastor. He would have everybody bow down when he entered the, the church building. And you would watch him. He was, he was more of a walker than me. I kind of get stuck back here, but he was a walker. And so the people would bow down when he came over here, and then he would walk over here, and they would kind of bow down, and they'd keep following him. 
And you know, those examples, we hear them and it's like, that's too extreme, that's too extreme. Except that it does happen here. It really does, only it's just more adapted to our particular culture. And it's anti-gospel. You can listen to some podcasts um, about some of this and you'll know this does happen here in crazy ways. And it's anti-gospel. The desire to dominate is the exact opposite of how Christian leadership is supposed to work. Because what does Jesus say? It's, it's not like this is a new problem. He, he says, Mark 10, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be, see, we even know it, slave of all. And so you, you want to know why pastors exist, why leaders exist. It's not for themselves. They're not here for themselves. We exist for God's use for the good of the church, which means we're here to work for your joy, which is why Peter's stressing that we're not to exercise oversight by being pushy and overbearing, but instead by proving to be examples to the flock of personal character, which is a big deal to us here at CBC. You need to know for our elders, we want our elders to be men worthy of imitating. In fact, that's kind of what we're doing when we appoint elders. Someone's put it like this. When a church appoints a man to be an elder, it's formally saying, here is an official church-recognized example of a mature follower of Jesus. He's not the only example. He's not always the best example. He's definitely not a perfect example. But he is an officially designated example. <laughs> By affirming someone as an elder, the church says, imitate him as he imitates Christ. In other words, you come here and you're a new Christian, and we should be able to say, you want to know what a real Christian looks like? Then, um, yeah, you'll get an example if you look at him. And this is important because we often think of leadership as telling and doing. But leadership is also showing. A lot of leadership is showing. And so elders don't shepherd just by going around doing things, and they definitely don't just shepherd by going around telling people to do things. Instead, they shepherd by showing what it looks like to live for Christ in everyday life. And you know, one quality that we're especially passionate about our elders modeling as they seek to lead the church is what it looks like to be a servant of Christ. We want our elders to be the biggest servants in the church. This should be one of the signs that someone's an elder. You know, some places, uh, you know the pastors by the clothes they wear. And it's, I guess, fine if pastors dress okay, but it shouldn't be the clothes that set the pastor apart as much as their character, and we hope that you'll be able to tell who the pastors are here, not by the suits they wear, but instead by looking around and seeing who's devoted to humbling themselves for the good of others and the glory of God. Who's the slave? Not who's the king, who's the slave? Which is obviously not always gonna be easy. <laughs> if you look at the way Peter describes what elders do, being a shepherd, exercising oversight, knowing the sheep, feeding the sheep, leading the sheep, protecting the sheep, willingly, eagerly, humbly, it's obvious it's going to require sacrifice. In fact, we read through a list of the duties at a, a previous elders meeting, or elders meeting just recently, and at the end, somebody said, that's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> and apart from Christ, it is impossible. And uh, there are parts that are hard, and so maybe we need to answer just one final question as we look at this text, 1 Peter 5. What kind of leaders do we need? We need elders. But what kind of elders? Men of character and conviction. To do what? Shepherd. But given the reason Peter takes away for doing that, like he's, he says, not because of duty, not for money, not for power, why does Peter think anyone would want to shepherd the flock like this? You hear me now? Like, why would you want to be an elder? And there are two reasons we see in, in this text, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. And the first is at the beginning in, in verse 1, and the second at the end in, in verse 4. So, verse 1, that's how Peter begins up in the first verse, which could be translated therefore, which means he's continuing what he's, to talk about what he's already been talking about. And he's been talking about Christian suffering. In 1 Peter 4.12, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes you to test you. That's how he started. And then verse 19, he says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And so Peter's basically saying to the believers there that it's normal for Christians to suffer as they live for Jesus. So, in other words, this is chapter 5, verse 1 now. So, therefore, because it's just normal 
for Christians to suffer as they seek to live for Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 1, Peter speaks to elders, so I exhort the elders among you. And it's like he's reminding us of the importance of the job. This is part of the motivation. Eldering matters. And one reason it matters is because people's lives as Christians are often so hard and involve suffering. And so Jesus gave elders to the church as a gift. He loves the church. And properly functioning elders are his way of helping the church keep living for Christ in a world where it's really hard to do so. Which is like such a motivation for ministry. Even when there are things that might be difficult, we get to serve Jesus by serving his people in a way that's eternally significant. In fact, if you listen to the way Paul puts it in 2 Timothy 2.10, he says why he was uh, happy to be a minister. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. And for Paul to say that, I mean, I suffer, I endure everything. And the reason why I've, I've suffered like this is not for me, but for other believers. Why? That they may also obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal, glorify, with, with eternal glory. In other words, Paul's saying, you know what motivates me? I am willing to suffer now so that you can be glorified when Jesus returns. I'm looking ahead to the day when you stand before God and angels, they're like, What? Who is that? You're going to receive glory. And Paul says, this little suffering that I have now, it's fine because this is what I get to do. I'm here for your glory, which I'm saying is the heart of, the, of an elder. And we have it easier than Paul did in so many ways because of where we're living. But still, that's the heart of an elder. That's what the first thing that motivates him, your glory. I'm here for your joy and your glory. And then second, second, a second motivation, and it must be right because it's there in 1 Peter 5. It's not just your glory that the elder is serving for. It's, in a sense, his own glory. Verse 4, it's not the glory he achieves for himself, but actually glory that God gives because of his grace, Peter says. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Which, if you know Peter, it's kind of his thing. It took a long time for Peter to figure out what Jesus was talking about in the Gospels. You remember? He's like... Jesus is like, I'm going to die, and Peter's like, no, you're not. And then um, Jesus is like, I'm going to die, and then Peter's like, but which one of us is going to be the greatest right now? It took a long time for Peter to figure this out, that Jesus' plan was die, suffer, die, uh, raise from the dead, ascend to heaven, return. But once Peter got that, once he understood that, then he was all about it, and he's always, he was always talking about the return of Christ and how when Jesus comes back, he was going to turn everything up side down, which is what keeps us going as Christians. This is what we're all setting our hope on. First Peter 1, he's talking to Christians who are suffering, and he's like, blessed be God. How can Peter say that when they're suffering so, the way they're suffering? It's because God's bringing a salvation. Jesus is bringing salvation back for us. And then Peter says, focus on that. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13, focus on the grace that's going to be brought to you when Jesus returns. And so as Christians, we focus on the return of Christ because we know when he's coming back, he's bringing more grace to give us. And that's what we're all to be living for, especially those of us who want to be elders. It's a, it's, it's a big motivation. I talk about being an elder, serving in this way. It's not just for now. It's not just for now. It's for later. And so you're like, why would I want to be an elder? I hear that sometimes. You know, there's so much criticism. It sounds difficult. And Peter says here, yeah, yeah, like Peter was going to get crucified upside down. So definitely hard. But we're not living for what's easy right now. We're living for what Jesus is bringing with him when he comes back. And Peter says here he's bringing, this is, it's, Jesus is kind. He's so kind. Because he, it, we're saved by grace. Everything that we get to do for him is grace. And yet he wants to show us more grace. And so here he calls these men to participate in this great ministry of being an elder. But that's not all there is to it. He's actually bringing back with him an unfading crown of glory for those who serve him well. A crown. And a crown then was a symbol of victory. So we use gold medals. They did the same thing with a crown. It's a way of saying, you win. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to celebrate faithful elders as victorious when he returns. Through some way of marking them off, pictured here as a crown of unfading glory. Imagine a crown that's very material is glory. 
And not just any glory, unfading. It's not the kind of glory that people forget about after a while, but a glory that never gets old. And I'm just saying that, that's the kind of thing that's worth living and dying for. It's going to be worth it. No matter how hard things might get, back, get right now, Jesus is, is good. And he's not calling on you to serve Jesus and then just die. He's bringing a reward back to him, and that reward is way better than anything you could achieve for yourself right now. And so, you know, don't feel too badly for your elders if they're being faithful when it's hard. Pray for them, encourage them, honor them, respect them in the right way, but don't feel too badly. Because remember, Jesus is coming again, and he's bringing glory with him. And one group, he says, he's going to reward our elders who elder well, which makes being an elder such a privilege and joy. And we need elders as we look to the future at CBC. We need deacons, and we're going to talk about them next week. But we need elders. But as I, I keep saying, we don't just need any elder. We need a certain kind of elder, and it's the kind of Shepherd, Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 5, a, a pastor who pastors, who, knows the, who doesn't just have the title but seeks to do the function, who, who knows the flock belongs to God and exercises oversight, not just because he has to but because he wants to, not just as a job but with enthusiasm, and definitely not so that he can be some big shot or important person but so that he can serve. He, he happily wants to be a slave of God and of God's people because he knows God uses elders and he longs for God's people to make it to heaven and because he trusts Jesus and he's longing for the day when he sees his pastor, Jesus, his shepherd, who's going to reward him for pastoring and shepherding well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for uh, the, this, this congregation, this church that you have miraculously put together supernaturally. Everyone uh, who's a believer here, so much has happened in their life. You have caused them to be born again. They were spiritually dead. Now they're alive. The Holy Spirit uh, lives in them. This is the flock that you purchased with your own blood. And so, Lord, we really, uh, we, we don't take this for granted. Being a church is remarkable. Being a local church is such a gift. And we really want to to be a church in a way that honors you. And we know, we've talked about this for a long time now, so we, so we know that one, one step to being that kind of church is having uh, the, the kind of leaders that you've uh, designed for, for us. And we just pray that you would make us so humble. We pray that the, the leaders of this church would be the most humble men and uh, that they'd be men of character. And Lord, even as uh, those of us who aren't leaders, help us to be impressed by the right kind of things. So often things get flipped upside down in churches because, partially because we are impressed by what impresses the world, and we make a priority out of the same things that uh, the world makes a priority out of, and then we suffer for it. So Lord, please help us to be impressed by what impresses you and to want um, leaders who are, not, who are not big shots and not, uh, not so amazing in the world's eyes, but who are uh, men of character, men of conviction, men who know the church belongs to Jesus and who just want to do the best they can to serve your people until you return. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.